Our Old Testament, our New Testament reading for today is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the ones who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who makes no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Our responsive reading for this morning is Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. And be glad in his name. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyres. Let the faithful exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the people. To bind their kings with fetters and their nobles with chains of iron. To execute on them the judgment decreed. This is the glory for all his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. And our Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a one-year male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the land that same night. 
They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its heads, legs, and inner gourds. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn of the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. Friends of Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's deliverance comes. What an amazing declaration. And yet that is the message of our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures that we have just heard this morning. After promises and plagues, God is about to act. Much has happened in the intervening verses since last week. In these intervening verses, God has enabled Moses to fulfill his calling and his Uh, has given him Aaron as his fellow uh, spokesperson. God has sent Moses back to the land of Egypt and to Pharaoh, and there have been plagues. Plague upon plague upon plague has afflicted the land of Egypt. With the threat of all of these plagues, God is demanding of Pharaoh that Pharaoh free the children of God. And as each of these plagues unfolds, one of the things that really stands out for us and amazes us in the, in the, as we read that portion of the scripture is that every time God inflicts the land of Egypt with a plague, Pharaoh and his magicians seek to replicate the plague. Did you ever go looking? for something bad to happen. If you think about it, that's what happens in this story of the plagues, is it not? That, that every time God does something bad to the people, the people then turn to, uh, people and Pharaoh then turn around and try to inflict themselves on, with their own, with this curse that God has laid upon them. God gives them flies. Pharaoh's magicians makes more flies. God curses the land with frogs hopping everywhere in and out of the cupboards and in and out of all of your bowls. Pharaoh's 
Magicians respond by bringing more frogs, hopping around in your pantries and in your cupboards and hopping in and out of your bowls. It is meant to be an amusing thing for us, I think, to read when we read the story of the plagues. So you can do that this afternoon in, 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 uh, in chapter 11 of the book of Exodus. But it's important for us to remember that it's there because the plagues are important. Time and again, they show that the people of Egypt did not honor God, the Lord. The last plague will be the most terrifying of them all. It is one that they will not be able to replicate. It is the one of which our story speaks today. God will take away the firstborn in the land. Every firstborn child, every firstborn animal, God is preparing to lead his people out of the land of Egypt. And in God's absence, there will be only darkness and death. But the children of God will be exempted from that curse. They shall be passed over. Any house that is marked with the blood of the lamb, God will spare. The blood on the doorposts and on the lintel will be a sign of the faithfulness of the, peop- of the children of God. And by the sacrifice of the lamb, their firstborn will be saved will be redeemed. For us as modern readers, it all seems a little odd, doesn't it? The story about the Passover. These instructions that God has given to the children of God. But not strange for them. Because for them, this is the language of worship. Indeed, we still use the word redeemed in our own worship as Christians and in our daily lives as well. Sometimes the word redeemed will slip into our vocabulary to put one thing in the place of another and to transfer the value of the one to the other. Perhaps You go shopping at the store and you have a special wallet that you carry in your purse full of all of your coupons. 50% off, 25 cents off. And when we come to the cashier, we present the coupon that it may be redeemed. That the value of one is replaced in the value of another. The 25 cents is taken off your bottle of coffee this morning because it has been redeemed, the coupon has been redeemed. That idea of redemption, we kind of get. Here this morning, God is redeeming the people of Israel with the blood of the Lamb and the firstborn are passed over. But for the people, looking more broadly at it, there is in this moment a 
a the use of the ritual of the worship of the tabernacle for the children of God in as part of this Passover sacrifice. The children of God were were used to animal sacrifices, the sacrifice of a perfect and unblemished animal to uh, atone for their sins or to simply give expression to their praise and thanksgiving to God. And usually in Old Testament worship, the blood of the animal would be splattered on the altar and the meat would be eaten as a sort of communal gathering. There were exceptions to that practice, but but that is, was kind of what the norm was. So you see that in, the, in this uh, enactment of the Passover, except instead of splashing the blood upon the altar, it is splashed upon the doorposts of the house and the family eats it together. And it is given special significance. On this night, the firstborn of the children of God will be redeemed, they are told. On this night, the blood will open for them the doorway to their freedom. We know this story well, the story of the Passover. We remember Jesus' celebration of the Passover with his own disciples on Monday, Thursday. We use this story as the grand archetype of our own celebration of the Lord's Supper as we gather at the table. And in it we see shadows of that very first Passover of which we read this morning. But how often do we hear these instructions in the telling of the story in worship? How often do we hear the echo of these words as we gather at the table and think that this celebration is the response of the children of God for all that God has done? How often do we hear these words and think that they are our response to God's saving grace. And yet, careful attention to the reading this morning reveals to us that that there's something a little bit different happening in this reading this morning from Exodus. It is not just a human response that is happening. These instructions that God gives to Moses in Exodus chapter 12 are not simply given as the ceremony of remembrance, as important as it was to the people that they remembered this moment and the deliverance of God. But these words are the actual articulation of the saving act of God. The celebration is given, then, before God acts. God says, I'm going to do this. You are going to do that. And then this will be your remembrance. The action comes first. I've been struggling all week to try to figure out exactly how to explain this to you. Because I know it's not always how we look at the text. 
not always how we understand our own faith and response to God. And it wasn't until this morning that I had was given an example that I think may communicate itself to you. It has been a tradition in my life, sometimes more rigorously observed than others, but has always been a tradition when I could to listen to choral concert on Sunday morning on CBC radio. It's their hour-long program of, of choral music, and it's one of those things that I greatly enjoy. Now, it's all, never, it hasn't always been easy. It's moved times. And so as a minister who's tied up on Sunday mornings with things like worship, catching up with the time was never, it was never a convenient time. And sometimes it was less convenient than others. The advent of the Internet was a blessing because I can listen to it in the Atlantic time zone and it's an hour earlier. So that's really helpful, which is what I do these days. And in this morning's show, they were talking about the idea of faith or belief. Although the host of the show, Catherine Duncan, went to great pains to say she wasn't speaking of religious belief, but she was speaking of a slightly broader, more airy-fairy understanding of belief. Perhaps it's belief in a deity Or maybe it's just belief that the sun will come up tomorrow by some perfect uh, repetition of nature. And then she came to the point in the show where she played a piece of music by Johann Sebastian Bach. And again, she tried to make that point of whether or not you come to Bach's music as a person of of religious faith or not, there was something special about the form and the structure that Bach uses in his music to convey the meaning of the music. And always, when a radio commentator in speaking on something like the music of Christmas or the music of J.S. Bach, says something like that, they immediately draw my ire. Because my internal conversation goes like this. I've learned not to share this always with my family members. But in my head, the internal conversation is, you cannot this morning, you cannot separate the music of Johann Sebastian Bach from his faith. Bach wrote music for the church. Bach wrote music to convey that which we believe. To say anything different, I think Gary would agree, is to do violence to the music of Bach. It makes no sense without that understanding. And so is the case here in this text this morning. The response of the people 
the actions of remembrance of the Passover feast make no sense in their own. They only make sense because they are the perfect reflection of how God has moved in the lives of the people. As we reflect on our worship each week, our worship is this 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 melding of life, our life, the life that has been given to us by God, and God's perfect actions in demonstrating to us all that he has done for us. And that we cannot possibly begin to praise God until we acknowledge the gifts of life and love that we have received from him. And in that act of acknowledging and receiving the gifts of love from God, then our lives are already filled with praise. The praise cannot be separated from the actions of God. They are integrally connected together. We come each Sunday to worship in this place or in these Latter days of COVID-19, we come perhaps uh, virtually, not in physical space, but we come because it is essential that we remember. Speaking to, to a member of our congregation just this week, and I won't name her by name, but when she hears this story, she'll know who she is. A member of our congregation in the building this week said to me, "My son, I told my son, don't call me at 10 o'clock, between 10 and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, because I'm at church. She's at church through the camera at the back, but she has still set that time aside as a perfect remembrance and celebration of God and the gathering together of all of God's people, both those of us who are here and those of us who are there, coming together to articulate the wonderful things that God has done. It has been the blessing of this moment of COVID-19 where everything seems odd and strange, but we have found new things as well And one of those new things that we have discovered is that we can still be community gathered together in faith as we come from various and diverse places around God's word. And that when we do that, we are enlivened and invigorated to offer God praise. So let us give thanks to God this day recognizing that in God we do indeed have life and that our worship reflects all that God is doing. Thanks be to God. Amen.